so growth. Um, so what I want to speak on this morning is growth in, in every season, not just the, the lush, beautiful scenes, but also in the tough times. So let me quickly paint you two pictures. So picture number one, picture a lush green-filled garden with vibrant flowers, each one standing tall, bathed in sunlight, seemingly untouched by the struggles of life. Um, this is an image I think most of us often and mostly associate with growth. I mean, the scene is set perfectly. It's, it's inevitable for growth to take place. But then also let me paint you picture number two. A vast desert, seemingly endless expanse of dry barren land with the scorching sun like beaming down. There's, it's just like if I were to stand there, I would be sweating buckets. Then this place might feel inhospitable. At first glance, void of life, and yet there's still growth. I think after the first service, my wife said, what it reminded her of is a cactus. I mean, there's cacti growing in the desert, and there's also a type of growth happening in the desert. It's not in the traditional way we, we tend to see, but what it is, it's a kind of growth that's resilient, it's tenacious, and often transformative. Um, another thing, I mean, just this is evident why in between church services or before service or after service, chats are amazing, like do it. Um, Uncle Mervyn also mentioned something to me, and he said what it reminded him of is when you've got a tree and you cut it through the middle and you look at the, like from a top view, you see the, the growth rings. And when you've got summer periods, periods of like the lush green garden, like ideal opportunity for growth, you've got big growth rings. Like there's very evident growth happening there. But what, if you look at the, like the, the nature of the wood, it's often soft. Like it's not that hardened wood that a massive tree needs. But during winter seasons, those same growth rings will be there. They'll always be there. But they're much smaller, but they're much harder. And if you think of a, a massive, call it a 10, 20 meter tree, if you've only got soft wood, as soon as, like, the, the, call it the wind and the waves and all the struggles come, and you've got a tree of only soft wood, it's not going to stand the test of time. So those periods of, of struggle, the difficult time, the desert season is needed. So in the same way you've got these, call it these garden, these nature settings, we've got it in our own lives. We go through, through, through mountains and trials. We go through good times and bad times. Everything isn't always lush and, and beautiful and happy and it's difficult sometimes. You go through those seasons where you just don't know, like, what now? What am I supposed to do? I'm going through this tough season. It feels like I'm in the middle of the desert. And I want to grow, but I don't know how. So what, I'm, what am I to do now? Do I need, just need to wait, sit there, and the season will pass by itself? It's an option. But at the other side, it'll just be the same. There's no growth that's happened. There's nothing learned. 
So the growth, especially in those tough seasons, are crucial. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give you two, two examples, two instances in the Bible where we find uh, firstly a group of people and the other side an individual that went through a desert season, a wilderness season, and both parties' reaction to that desert season was completely different, and the end result was also way different. So let me paint picture number one for you. Speaking of the desert, I think this is probably the most obvious thing everyone thinks of, um, the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt into the desert. Um, so I want you to, while I tell you the story, keep in the back of your mind, when the Israelites were in Egypt, they were slaves. They were not treated well like human beings, oftentimes like, like filthy animals. They were beaten, they were shouted at. And they had to work extremely hard. It wasn't a, a nice place for an Israelite to be. You were a slave. So coming out of Egypt through the Red Sea, God led the Israelites through Moses. Firstly, and sorry if I butcher these names, to Mara, then Elam, and eventually to Rephidim. So the, the reason I'm saying these specific places in Elam is a place where they spent a, a little bit of time. So when they got to Elam, this, remember this is the middle of the desert. They got there and this is a place there were 12 springs of water, fresh water that they could drink. They could cool themselves off. There were, sorry, just want to get the exact, 70 palm trees. So I mean in the middle of the desert, there's nothing. You come to a place where there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees. I mean, it sounds quite amazing considering the, like, what's around you. So, obviously, very comfortable here. They, they're enjoying life. Um, we've just got out of slavery, and now we're in this awesome place on our way to the promised land. Like, life's good. And then their next stop, Rephidim. No water. Like, nothing, nada. So the only water they had was what they could carry with them. Them being a, a quite a while back, didn't have the camel packs and all these fancy stuff to carry water in. So that their ways of carrying a bit of water. Obviously, it's the middle of the desert. You've only got capacity to carry so much, and it's in the scorching heat. So obviously, their water didn't go too far. So the lack of water in Rephidim brought the Israelites to a point of desperation. And they started quarreling or fighting with Moses, who was supposed to be their leader. This guy was anointed to bring them to the promised land. Now you've brought us to a place with no water. I mean, what's up, dude? Why? <laughs> and what they were doing is they were questioning if they were being brought there to die. Literally, like, they were asking Moses, like, is this Lord of yours? Has he brought us here to just kill us? What's the point? We've been promised the promised land. Now we've got no water. I mean, and the Lord did eventually give them water. Moses struck a rock with his staff and water started coming out. But still their, their faith and their trust was little. So 
in Numbers 14, verse 2 and 3. It says, All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So, I mean, reading this, they're not even, they're not questioning God's timing or, Lord, when are you going to come through? They're literally questioning, like, Lord, what is your intention here? Is your intention to bring us out of slavery and just kill us in the desert? Wouldn't it have been better to just die in Egypt? And just a bit further, in the same Numbers 14, verse 29 and 34, it's basically the Lord's response to their hard position. And it says, in this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted, who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be the shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. So this is what this is the Israelites' reaction to their situation, questioning the Lord's intention, questioning His plan, having no trust and faith in what He promised them. And how did they end up? None of the, I call them the originals, ended up in the promised land. And this is due to a lack of their faith and trust. And like I said, not a lack of timing or, Lord, I, I believe you're going to do this. I'm just struggling to, to see when this is going to happen. Because, I mean, I think that's something we often struggle with ourselves. Is we know there's a promise. The timing is just difficult. But this was plainly, God, is this still your promise? The only ones who eventually got to the promised land of those, Caleb and Joshua. And I'm not going to elaborate on that. But why? They had faith and trust in the Lord. So a bit later on when they got to the promised land and sent in the spies to go and scout like what's going on there, uh, how's things looking there. There was 12 spies sent in, Caleb and Joshua were the two that reacted differently to the 10 that said, no, we shouldn't go here. So through it all, Caleb and Joshua stuck with the Lord's promise and they got a taste of the promised land. So scenario number one, Israelites. Scenario number two, David. So, obviously, David's got a, a long and elaborate story. I'm not going to go into all of it, but I'm going to take snippets, which is applicable to our message today. So, David's story starts in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, it begins with the prophet Samuel. So, Samuel went to visit Jesse, who was David's father, and his, his message to Jesse was, I'm here to anoint the new king of Israel. And 
please bring all of your sons and line them up. And I want to see if one of them is the anointed king. And went through which he, what he thought was all of them. And he said, no, is there no one else? And Jesse said to him, yes, I've got another son, but he's the youngest. And he's but a, he's a shepherd boy. So he's not, in those times, not worth much. Um, and I mean, in that, that time, the, the oldest son got the most. And I mean, him being, I think, the, the last of 12 was, he was nothing. So, despite being the youngest son and but a shepherd, David is chosen by God and anointed to become the new king of Israel. So, even from the start, this anointing is a powerful acknowledgement of God's divine selection and plans for David's, David's life. So, as a young boy, there was already an anointing and he knew what the eventual plan for his life was. So following his, following his anointing, David faces a few challenges in the court of King Saul. So King Saul becomes jealous of David's popularity and success. Um, there were triumphs and also struggles. So David defeated Goliath. This was, I mean, the people were hanging on his lips. People just wanted, this is David. He's so amazing. But Saul got jealous. I mean, why is this guy getting all attention? And me as king of this country who's just overthrown them, I'm getting nothing. So he became jealous, and Saul attempts to kill David. Fleeing from Saul, David finds refuge in the wilderness. He hides out in a cave at one stage. And during this period, he gains like a, a band of followers, a band of brothers that, that walks this journey with him. And in all this uncertainty, he truly learns to rely on God. So the first verse I want to touch on here is Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5. So we don't have an exact pinpoint of when David wrote the psalm, but looking at the timeline, it was most likely in that fleeing process somewhere. So he was in a, in a season where he was really struggling. He, he was literally fleeing for his life. And this is what he writes. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. I mean, I think this so beautifully reflects his posture of waiting for God even in the challenging times. Fleeing for his life, but he's willing to be patient. He's willing to persevere through this season, trusting that when and wherever, God is going to lead him, lead him into what he has been anointed for. Next verse, Psalm 63. Now this is in that time when he was hiding out, when he was literally in, probably in the cave, hiding from Saul when he's trying to be killed. So still, I think, in this similar state of mind. And Psalm 63 verse 1 says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I mean, I think this just like emphasizes his deep dependence on God in this wilderness season where even though he's facing this backlash, and I mean, this is just 
There's, there's two little snippets. If you go and dig through Psalm, I'm sure you're going to find loads and loads of scripture on God just having this, this constant longing to be close to the Lord, even though if you don't dig into what he's actually going through and just read it as like a snippet, you don't know what state of heart and state of mind he's actually at when writing these things. So through all of this, being, being physically hunted, where does David end up? He becomes king. He eventually stepped into what the, anoint, what the Lord anointed him for as a young, young boy, young man. And, I mean, we know him as a man that was after God's heart. That's, it's always David, a man after God's heart. And, yes, he made mistakes. He did some stupid things. But he was a man after God's heart. And in all of this, like going through the season, um, being hunted by Saul, like what's the questions he asked the Lord? That's what I thought to myself. And he constantly just wants to be close to the Lord. He just wants to be yeah, near to him. He'd never asked the Lord, like, Lord, deliver me from this. Can you please just cause a change in Saul's heart and ask him to please just stop hunting me? That would be quite nice. But that's never his heart position. He had ample opportunity, but didn't kill Saul. I mean, that would have solved a lot of his problems. Would have been much easier. But he knew from the start that it wasn't in the Lord's plan for him to get rid of Saul. That's not his responsibility. So he stuck it out. He persevered. He spent time in the cave because he knew he knew that he, that he had to be obedient to God's call. So what about us? Like, we also go through tough seasons. Um, and oftentimes when we, we get saved, we're on this high. Like, everything is lacquer. It's, life is just a pleasure. And then as soon as things start getting tough, as soon as those first attacks come, we see people flip. Maybe we've flipped ourselves. We, we just, no, I'm out. Like, this is too much. I can't handle the struggle. It's not worth it. I think this is due to that wilderness season approaching, and we're not ready for it. We, never mind anticipating it, but we're not, we're not ready to step into it and say, I know this is going to be tough, but I'm going to persevere through it. I'm going to work hard in this. Um, I know it's going to be challenging, but I want to go with it. Why does God create these seasons? And it's definitely these seasons aren't just the enemy coming. God sends trials and tribulations for us to grow us. It's training, preparation. God needs us to be truly rooted in him because the enemy is going to come and attack. He is going to bring backlash. He's going to try and take us off the, the road with every opportunity he gets. And if we're a bunch of soft trees, it's going to be easy to, with a little handsaw, just cut through us. But if we're strong and truly rooted, then it's not going to be as easy. 
So it's not necessarily going to be fun. I promise you, it's really going to be tough. Like, I can guarantee you that there's going to be tough times. But sticking through them, growing through them, is worth it. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. For they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This doesn't say it will be a tree planted by water. You're not always going to have access to, to all the, like, you're not always going to be in an ideal environment to grow. But if your trust in the Lord, your trust is in the Lord and your confidence is in Him, you will be like a tree planted by the water, even though at that moment you're not necessarily surrounded by the ideal environment. Just by trusting in Him, you're going to have all the tools you need to grow. So just shortly, I want to link this with what Jordan said last week about community and, and growing together. In both these examples, the Israelites and David, neither of them were alone. They all had a, a community of people around them. What did the Israelites do? They banded together and said how bad Moses is, how bad the Lord is, how bad this is, how bad the situation is. Where did they end up? David had support. He had these band of brothers following, supporting him in his journey. Where did he end up? So it's important. It's like every, every season in life you're going to be surrounded by people. And that community is so, so, so crucial. And I just felt I couldn't say, I couldn't continue on with this without saying, like, those tough seasons are going to be especially tough if you try to do them without a solid community behind you. But with a group of people who can support you, help you when you're weak, it's going to be so much easier. So I want to get practical for a moment. Um, like everyday stuff we deal with, um, practical stuff we deal with, where it's often easy to just say, no, I don't see the point in struggling through this. I don't see the point in persevering through this. I just want to, I'm just going to stop and, yeah, let's see. Hope, hopefully I'm better at the end of the day, but most of the time you're not. So in church, we've got a bunch of surfers. When you started surfing, at one stage you had to, you had to practice your pop-up. To, for those who don't surf, to physically when you're on the wave, to pop up and get on your feet. That's very tough. Like, I've tried and I often, most of the times, fall off. But the guys who've caught barrels, Kurtu does handstands, if you stop training your pop-up, you wouldn't be able to catch the barrel. You wouldn't be able to do the handstand. You wouldn't be able to do whatever you're doing that looks so crazy to those of us who can't necessarily do. But it was tough at that time, and it's frustrating but you had to continue. You know, there's people who you looked up to and said, just continue with it. Just go with it. You'll get there. And eventually you did. And there was growth. Training at the gym. 
or running, like training at the gym, those of you who go to the gym, that first time when you, whatever, you do squats, your legs are shot for two weeks, can't do anything, but you've got to go back. And as you go back and your muscles grow, the pain becomes less and less and less and you can endure more. So I've recently started running and did five, six, seven Ks the whole time. And one week, Jade, is like, there's a 15K me and my father-in-law are doing. Are you keen to join us? And I was like, no, not a chance. Like, the most I've ever done is half that. Like, I'm not a runner. I've never been a runner. I'm never going to be a runner. And he convinced me to do it. And I did it. And it was easier than I thought. Like, my legs were sore for a few days. But got through it. Two weeks later, did another one. Three weeks later, did a 21K. And there's been a lot of growth. But there's been persevering. Had to put in the time. Had to put in the, the work. And it's not always easy or lacquer, but circling back to the community thing, I've had a group of people on the journey with me that have motivated me, that have, when I'm struggling, they're like, no, come on, you've only got this, or let's slow down a bit, or they've taken me through the journey and really helped me in progressing. And then learning to deal with conflict in marriage. Another one. I mean, I think modern dating is often, it's a, it teaches you to just jump out as soon as things aren't like, or there's a first fight. You're just like, okay, not worth it. Don't see the point. Um, don't want to work for this. And I think that's where you go get so many broken homes. But if you work at it, not always easy. It's tough to deal with conflict. People deal with conflict in different ways. But if you're willing to stick it out, talk through things, work at it, then you're going to have a long, happy marriage. And something that's such a cool example in terms of sticking it out through the tough times and not resorting to, okay, this is not worth it, but truly depending on, on God's promise is worth it. So Sunday number one, there was 200 people that attended the first ever Wavepoint service. Um, obviously, start with a bang. Expectation is high. So 234, even crazier. Sunday number two, 27 people. I mean, Pastor Nash just mentioned it. 27 people, and during that time, there wasn't a building, it was a rented space, each and every weekend, uh, a trailer was rented, it was packed, it was unpacked at church, or the, the building, the, the hall, church happened, the trailer was packed again, it was driven, it was unpacked again, and this wasn't a team of 20 or 30 people being there. For this, this was two, three, four, five people, depending on, on how it went on the Sunday. So, I mean, a lot of work went into it. COVID happened. 
this isn't isolated to Wavepoint Church. All churches, I think, went through a, a difficult time back then to, to try and navigate it without losing that sense of community. And, I mean, because I think most of us know gathering online isn't the same as being here in person. Then, multiple venues. We've had, I should have done a proper count, but I think five or six venues. This is number six. So, I mean, there's been, there's been struggles and challenges just in having different venues. But look where we're at now. Like, I mean, chairs were packed out, and as soon as people started coming in, we had to pack extra chairs. I mean, what a privilege. And it's not stopping. I think the traje- it's a tra- tra- trajectory of growth, and it's awesome to be a part of. Um, but throughout the whole journey, yeah, bumps in the road, bumps on the head. Nothing's been perfect. But the constant is God's plan and trusting in what he wanted for Wavepoint Church. Not listening to, not Pastor CJ and Pastor Nat, listening to their own heads and saying, no, this is, the, this is the logical solution or this is the practical thing to do. But literally relying on, on God's word and his promise. So ending off, I heard a story a while back. It's a, a a pastor was training a group of people. Um, the group of people were, they were on the journey of planting a new church in a new location. And so the people that were gathering were the leaders and the volunteers and everyone who wanted to be involved in this church plant. So what this pastor, that this third party, outside pastor that came and taught them, he said, okay, this is going to be a journey. This isn't going to be easy. So I want us to get personal. So gathering groups or two or three and chat to each other, find out where each other's hearts are, and I want you to pray for each other because going on this journey, you need to be like, you can't, can't be each and our own lane. We've got to come from a united front, and we've got to know each other to be able to do that. So they started grouping up. And he felt led to go to a young girl, 18 or 19 years old, and ask her, like, what's going on in her, in her life, and to pray with her. And they chatted a bit, and he asked her the question, so what are you praying for at this stage in your life? And she, her response shocked him, and I was also quite surprised by it, especially since she's so young. She said to him, I'm praying for my next desert season. And he was like, okay, like, why? What's, what's the point? And she's like, I've seen in the seasons that I've gone through that my most growth has happened in those desert seasons, those wilderness seasons where things have been tough. And when I enter my next one, I want to be prepared. I want to be able to to utilize the tools that I have to make the next wilderness season, I have the best one in my life. To see, be the one where I can grow the most that I've ever grown. And it's like, wow. I mean, the maturity for someone that young to be able to have that answer. 
but it also caused me to think, like, I always enter, like, you go through life, and you enter into a season, and all of a sudden, you're like, yo, this is tough, like, I'm struggling, and you've, you've been in it for a while, and then you catch yourself, and you've, you've given a few steps into it, and now you only realize, listen, this is where I am, and I'm not prepared at all, like, what now? Then you've got to start. Okay, Lord, please help me through this. But if you start praying for that season before it even happens, aren't you priming yourself? Aren't you preparing the ground? Aren't you preparing yourself to enter that? I mean, like, like we did at the end of last year, this isn't necessarily a desert season, but we knew as Wavepoint what the season was that God wanted us to step into in 2024. And we didn't start praying into 2024 on the 1st of Jan, we did it in the previous season to prepare ourselves and prime ourselves to make this the best season yet. So I really want to encourage you to pray into that season to for the Lord to guide you to become to become tenacious, to become resilient, to persevere because like I said earlier, like the seasons are going to come and they're going to be tough and it's not going to be easy. But pray into them and be prepared because when they then catch you a bit off guard, you're going to be, I'm ready. And you're going to be able to fully step into that. And also just realize the value of those seasons. I think like I said with the tree, like, it's easy to have this considerable growth, but there's no solid root. But really entering into, into the season and seeing it for what it is, but saying, this is going to make me strong. 